Interior. Night. Recording studio. Two redheads begin pre-show warm-ups. Red leather, yellow leather, red leather, yellow leather. Jack, write that you gargle your water or something. Jack gargles some water. And then put that we say, welcome to Script Shop. Who? Me or you? Mm-hmm. You say it. Welcome to Script Shop. N- no, but like, really, say it. Like, right now. Like, right now. Let's go for it. Welcome to Scrimshaw. No, Jack. Top. <laughs> Omaha. No, Jack. Welcome to Script Shop. Script Script Shop Show, Script Shop Show, Christmas time is here. We are doing a podcast now with your screenwriting fears and your hopes and your dreams. Tell us a story. I'm not going to have a good payoff (laughs) because rhyming's not my forte. That's why I talk to people instead and I don't write. Hi, everybody. I'm Jack. This is Script Shop. And I'm Allison. And... um, Happy holidays. Yeah, happy holidays, Merry Christmas, uh, happy, 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 merry, everything. Happy all the things. Enjoy everything. This is this is a, such an interesting, fun time of year that, that obviously we put a ton of pressure on ourselves to have fun and uh, to make interesting. Yes, also, sidebar. Yes. People have started giving me Christmas clothes for Baby Olive. Ah, uh, yes, of course. It's wonderful. How, it's absolutely wonderful. How much of these clothes that you're being given are like actual legitimate clothing versus like, put her in this costume, put her in this costume? You know, it's 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 50-50, pretty <laughs> okay, much. That's, but that's the thing generous. is, is that when it comes to me, it doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. Because I love costumes, and I'll definitely put the baby in something that is a costume if it's obviously going to be adorable mm-hmm. and at the end of the day aren't we all just wearing costumes that's you know what you make a good point right uh the picture that you sent me of olive in, in her, her christmas, christmas jammies, jammies was amazing oh, i love it so much but in terms of like weird pressures i was like i'm gonna put her in christmas clothes every single day this month mm-hmm. well guess what i don't actually want to do that yeah half the time i just want her to wear her pajamas all day long give her a bath and put her on some new ones yeah because really you're not doing it for her it's I'm, just for you and, and like if you don't want to do it just don't do it yeah and that's how it I, I have lots of good christmas outfits for her and i love putting them on her mm-hmm. but that was a new christmas pressure that i gave myself that you know what i don't need it yeah no kidding yeah please cut your <laughs> losses on that don't do that like dressing a wiggling baby that doesn't want to wear clothes anyway and for her for her part i try to just put her in comfy stuff sure she can move around in because if she's wearing a t-shirt babies don't like just normally wear t-shirts that thing goes crawling up her belly and mm-hmm. then she's not really warm and stupid stuff they put kids in stupid stuff nowadays did yeah. you know that? I, 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 I'm only through what you've told me. Well, now you know. I know, I know. Hey, everybody. So this is our very special Christmas episode of Script Shop. Ding! Where we talk to screenwriters about the writings that they've written and why they like to write what they've written. However, we cannot talk to today's writers because they have both passed on many years ago. Yes, we are doing a little bit something different this time. We're not going to be able to interview the writers of these things, but we are going to uh, share with you some of our favorite Christmas-related stories, uh, some classics, really. So this is basically just us bullshitting and sharing our favorite Christmas tales with you. I don't think we should say (laughs) swears on the Christmas show, right? It's like uh, I get put closer to the naughty list. Yeah, what are you I doing? Say bad words on the Christmas You're going to you're not going to have Santa Claus, you're going to have to have something Claus. Uh-oh. You remember something Claus? No. That was a, it was a sketch on SNL a few years back where Keenan was Keenan was something Claus and his whole bit was like even if you're naughty, everybody gets something. Like, <laughs> he just delivers envelopes of cash cuz everybody gets something. Uh, oh, that's so funny. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, but then we were also talking about Mm-mm. Krampus? Krump- Krampus, Krampus, sure. Yeah. 
And Bill Schnickel. Obviously. And Bell Schnickel. The, yeah, I, I got it, my, my work at the radio station doing news every year. I sort of try to do, or at least every other year, I'll do a little, we, do, we try to do featurey stories to maybe kill a little bit of time on the holidays and stuff. And so I really started reading about this Krampus character that's sort of a German, a Germanic uh, myth. He's like, he's sort of like the bad Santa Claus, but he's not like a villain. It's more, the, the, there was one article I read that was describing him and it was really brilliant. Uh, and it ended up sort of concluding that if Santa Claus is like the Superman of Christmas, Krampus isn't Lex Luthor. He's Batman. He's getting you to do the right thing still, but it's through fear instead mm-hmm. of inspiration. Mm. Well, what are some of the, ugh, it sounds so scary. It's well, he's like just, Halloween. yeah, he's this monster. And like in mid-December, they will, it's called Krampusnacht, where all like the young men in town will dress up as this crazy monster with horns and a big tongue. And they've got like chains. He usually carries a basket on his back that has like switches that he'll hit you with. Mm-hmm. And he also then will grab bad kids and put them in the basket. Oh my and gosh. Like kind of drag them to hell to a certain extent. Oh my gosh. But it's all this idea that you got to be good or otherwise right. Krampus will show up instead of St. Nick. Oh man, he's like that. Sounds very effective, it, honestly. It, yeah, sure. The good versus evil angels if, on your shoulder. If the carrot ain't gonna work, maybe the stick will. Right. Mm. Well, so anyway, I, I'm I'm fascinated by Krampus. Look now, I'm picking up parenting tips from you. That's that's maybe the scariest sentence I've heard in all of 2018. <laughs> Please never say that again. Don't do that, baby Olive. I'm so sorry. But you're welcome for all the chocolate chip cookies that are probably going to be coming your way in the next couple of years. I'm a big advocate of chocolate chip cookies. Uh, me too. So uh, this is, again, this is our podcast. Uh, we traditionally talk to screenwriters, so just a little bit of business to get out of the way if you want. We uh, are accepting submissions from screenwriters of various scripts, whether they're feature length, whether they're shorts, whether they're something out there and different. We're pretty open-minded folks. We're pretty open-minded. Um, but make sure that you have dialogue action headings and it's properly formatted. Yeah, because we get a lot of submissions and we want to see your best work. So send us your best stuff to read. And you can do that by going on to scriptshopshow.com slash submit or going on to Film Freeway and looking up Script Shop. Uh, in terms of Internet things, you can find us on social media. In addition to scriptshopshow.com, if you go to Facebook, if you go to Twitter, if you go to Instagram, and if you look up Script Shop Show on any of those platforms, that's where you can find our smiling faces. Redheads looking goofy. Redheads looking goofy. So easy just to say handsome instead, but you had to go goofy. <laughs> I mean, have you seen us on that? No, we look. Yeah, we look good. Red on the website. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I'm in that picture. I think like seven weeks pregnant. Yes, it was very, very early on. Yes, it's so funny though because I can totally tell. Like I've got my little bulgy beginning pregnant belly mm-hmm. going on, and I had I had just spent a lot of time working out, and I had a great waist, and then in that <laughs> picture, I'm like, there it goes. <laughs> Adios. That was the pre- the baby olive prequel. Yeah. Oh. She was technically time. she was technically in the photo shoot. Also. Oh my gosh, she's famous. <laughs> technically. <laughs> uh, so what are we? Uh, do you want to talk about what we're reading today? Yes, yes, yes. So um, I'm gonna start. I'm gonna read a story. Jack's gonna read a story. Yeah, we each sort of picked one that m- yeah we think has meaning at this time <laughs> of year and has layers that we can talk about. And the reason that I gave the whole <laughs> is because for whatever. Did you pick a downer? Yeah, and I almost said the F word again, but I don't want Krampus coming for me. Yeah, don't say swears on the Christmas show. For whatever reason, the little match girl. Oh, wait. Okay. Yeah. It it sticks with me. Mm-hmm. And you know what? That's not surprising, seeing that it's about a small child freezing sure. to death while people feast themselves around her. Um, why do you think this is a Christmas story? I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a really good question. 
I mean, it just in the, it may be on a human level of trying to remind people that there are those less fortunate and in these cold, dark times of year, it's really important for us to be that much more kind to each other. Yeah. I mean, you make a good point. Because outside of the religious elements of Christmas, there's a major theme of just... Generosity. Yeah, and in and in these cold, dark times, we can still have something to look forward to. Yep. Yeah, yeah, I get that there too. I guess I see. I can see it being a Christmas story if we look at it outside of the of the religious thoughts of Christmas, because mm-hmm. there's not. I'm going to say, arguably, there's not a lot of religion in this story, right? Except there is hope, and I guess Jesus is supposed to be about hope and sure. You know, I mean, there's some references to God in it, if I remember. Are there? Yeah, I think so. Let me do a quick search for the word God. Yeah, there's two. There's two references to God, as we will see as we get through this. Okay, so I guess it's Christmassy. Okay. Maybe it's a Christmas story the same way Die Hard is a Christmas story. Oh, do you think so? Well, we'll find out. Do That'll you think be for the themes parallel each other. I'm not saying like it's in a one to one comparison. I'm just saying like, <laughs> well, this is set at Christmas, so it must be a Christmas but tale. But this one is like epically this was written in eighteen forty six by mm-hmm. Hans Christian Andersen, mm-hmm. who is creepy anyway with his storytelling and good versus evil and making children have ideas about things so that they behave. Have you read any of his other? I remember seeing some plays of some of his stuff from way back in the day. I, we have a book of Hans Christian Andersen um, fairy tales at home that mm-hmm. I would used to read to Philip because they are like again they're effed up. They're wild. They are they are buck wild. Buck wild. To quote my favorite redhead, <laughs> second favorite redhead. <laughs> I Olive's didn't invent obviously that the word. First. Yeah, but you say it like this. Buck wild. <laughs> you a, put a big emphasis on the B, and you usually do something with your hands. It's a very like specific this, distinction. Like this. Um, yeah, I'll, we'll read some to you sometime because okay. they are like, it's like unbelievable. It, I am aghast and I'm just like laughing throughout the ta- tel- the telling of these tales uh-huh. because they are just messed up. I'm sorry that Frank's not here. Um, what do you think Frank would read? I don't us? know. That's why I, I, I couldn't even begin to imagine what story Frank would pick. Right. Because everything about him is so enigmatic and I'm so fascinated by so much about our good friend Frank. I would like to think that it would be like a Charlie Brown Christmas. Might be. Mm-hmm. Doesn't he seem like a Charlie Brown? Um, I mean, he's not in, in not not in the way of being suffering, but like I I, see, I think I see what the the vibe that you're going for. Maybe I'm going for like the vibe of the show, which is like very low key, yes, understated, and there's a lot more to it than you think, and not necessarily like Charlie. I'm thinking metaphorically. In yeah, the sure. Themes of the show, mm-hmm. and yeah. the, like the thoughtfulness of it. I yes. can see Frank's a, Frank's got a million thoughts running through his head at any given moment. Yeah. Still, waters run deep. That's very true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anywho, well, we miss Frank. Yep. Sorry, Frank. Merry Christmas, though. Is, there, is this show just turning into us missing Frank all the time? Yeah, well, yeah. Once he gets his <laughs> act together, we won't be anymore. It's kind of up to him. Okay, so listeners, um, I'm going to be reading the Little Match Seller in this translation I found by Hans Christian Andersen, 1846. Um, and here we go. It was terribly cold and nearly dark on the last evening of the old year and the snow was falling fast. In the cold and the darkness, a poor little girl with bare head and naked feet roamed through the streets. It is true she had on a pair of slippers when she left home, but they were not of much use. They were very large, so large indeed that they had belonged to her mother, and the poor little creature had lost them in running across the street to avoid two carriages that were rolling along at a terrible rate. One of the slippers she could not find, and a boy seized upon the other and ran away with it, saying that he could use it as a cradle when he had children of his own. So the little girl went on with her little naked feet, 
which were quite red and blue with the cold. In an old apron she carried a number of matches and had a bundle of them in her hands. No one had bought anything of her the whole day, nor had anyone given her even a penny. Shivering with cold and hunger, she crept along, poor little child. She looked the picture of misery. The snowflakes fell on her long, fair hair, which hung in curls on her shoulders, but she regarded them not. Lights were shining from every window, and there was a savory smell of roast goose, for it was New Year's Eve. Yes, she remembered that. In a corner between two houses, one of which projected beyond the other, she sank down and huddled herself together. She had drawn her little feet under her, but she could not keep off the cold, and she dared not go home, for she had sold no matches and could not take home even a penny of money. Her father would certainly beat her. Eee, yikes. Pause on that one. I forgot about this part. <laughs> okay, listeners. Okay, right? <laughs> As if the story couldn't be any more depressing. My mic's not even on. <laughs> <sighs> Besides, it was almost as cold at home as here, for they had only the roof to cover them, though through which... <laughs> this is exactly how I read these stories at home. It's, like, so sad. We can, we can edit around. I honestly don't want to. I think this is great. Jack's mic isn't on. He's saying we can edit around it. Uh, this is such a downer. Yeah. I swear. All right, keep going. It's probably going to be better if I just... I don't want to do... Through do it. we want to do a riff tracks on this? Yeah. That seems like a terrible idea. <laughs> keep going. I'm with you. Keep going. Okay, okay, okay. The wind is howling. It's cold. Okay, and now they're telling us that the largest holes in the house had been stopped up with straw and rags. <laughs> okay, I can do this. <sighs> Her little hands were almost frozen with the cold. Ah! Perhaps a burning match might be some good, if she could draw it out from the bundle and strike it against the wall just to warm her fingers. She drew one out. Scratch! How it sputtered as it burnt. It gave a warm, bright light, like a little candle, as she held her hand over it. It was really a wonderful light. It seemed to the little girl that she was sitting by a large iron stove with polished brass feet and a brass ornament. How the fire burned! and seemed so beautifully warm that the child stretched out her feet as if to warm them, when, lo, the flame of the match went out. The stove vanished, and she had only the remains of the half-burnt match in her hand. She rubbed another match on the wall. It burst into flame. Where its light fell upon the wall, it became as transparent as a veil, and she could see into the room. The table was covered with a snowy white tablecloth, on which stood a splendid dinner service and a steaming roast goose stuffed with apples and dried plums. And what was still more wonderful, the goose jumped down from the dish and waddled across the floor with a knife and fork in its breast to the little girl. Then the match went out, and there remained nothing but the thick, damp, cold wall before her. She lighted another match, and then she found herself sitting under a beautiful Christmas tree. It was larger and more beautifully decorated than the one which she had seen through the glass door at the rich merchants. Thousands of tapers were burning upon the green branches, and colored pictures, like those she had seen in the show windows, looked down upon it all. The little one stretched out her hand towards them, and the match went out. The Christmas lights rose higher and higher, till they looked to her like the stars in the sky. Then she saw a star fall, leaving behind it a bright streak of fire. Someone is dying, thought the little girl. 
for her old grandmother, the only one who had ever loved her and who was now dead. <laughs> I at least love that I'm laughing because this makes me so uncomfortable. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking for alcohol in this studio right now. <laughs> oh, I feel so bad for this little girl. The only one who had ever loved her and who was now dead had told her that when a star falls, a soul was going up to God. She again rubbed a match on the wall, and the light shone around her, and the brightness stood her old grandmother, clear and shining, yet mild and loving in her appearance. Grandmother, cried the little one, oh, take me with you. I know you will go away when the match burns out. You will vanish like the warm stove, the roast goose, and the large, glorious Christmas tree. And she made haste to light the whole bundle of matches, for she wished to keep her grandmother there. And the matches glowed with a light that was brighter than the noonday. And her grandmother had never appeared so large or so beautiful. She took the little girl in her arms, and they both flew upwards in brightness and joy, far above the earth, where there was neither cold nor hunger nor pain, for they were with God. And the dawn of morning there lay the poor little one, with pale cheeks and smiling mouth, leaning against the wall. Ugh. She had been frozen to death on the last evening of the year, and the New Year's sun rose and shone upon a little corpse. The child still sat in the stiffness of death, holding the matches in her hand, one bundle of which was burnt. She tried to warm herself, said some. No one imagined what beautiful thing she had seen, nor into what glory she had entered with her grandmother on New Year's Day. Thank fucking God that story is over. Wow. <laughs> the Christmas downer queen. I mean, so, okay, yeah, like in terms, I mean, it, it, so it's, you know, a New Year's Eve story, so maybe not like. But there is a Christmas tree in it. Yeah, sure, right. It's, it's a seasonal it's the, thing it's for sure. It's a season. And it's the, you know, I guess the idea that even in the face of absolute death, we'll still find beauty and hope to celebrate. Yeah. That's it. That's it. That's it. Oh, man. And also, I'm going to just have to say, this is a warning story. It has to be a warning story. As far as? If you don't help people, they might die in front of you and you won't even know. That kind of thing. Yeah. I think this this has got to be a warning story. You know, it gets gets a lot of rap as like being beautifully illustrated with the girl's fantasies and the warmth lighting up her face. Yeah, this like tragic beauty that she's experiencing in her last moments of life. Yeah, but you know what? That's not the point. The point is pay attention to the little children freezing on the street in front of your house. Yeah. And then maybe this wouldn't happen. I mean, yeah, I... I think it would be interesting to have a story like from the point of view of one of these townspeople that comes up and finds this frozen, smiling girl in the oh, in the alley. Man, because there's a lesson to be learned there, I suppose. Yeah, I don't know. This was uh, yikes. That's yeah, just uh, I I always forget how how intense Hans Christian Andersen is. I mean, you know, if you're if you're getting into the realm of like you know Christmas type stories or winter and seasonal sort of things, I, it, it's almost like they fit into two very distinct camps. It's either like tragic stuff like this yeah. or like overt sugar, yep. beautiful, happy, wonderful ending. 
Although, although the, the one I'm going to do sort of is in the middle. Yours is good. Yeah, there's a yours bit of is, there's a bit of both. Yours is good, and I like that because we were like, well, let's not end on a downer, and this was <laughs> this was just so much more of a downer than I could have possibly expected it to be. I mean, yes, it, it's it, 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 in addition to the the warning of yes, try to do good and be aware that even in a wonderful time of year, there can still be tragically awful things that are happening to little innocent children. Yeah, and from the other end of it, even in the face of utter doom yeah there's th- this little girl died i guess kind of happy i guess oh, gosh but i don't know it's, th- it's really starts, hard to find a silver lining that here. starts making me think like well maybe she was so far gone she didn't realize she was hurting anymore yeah you that's know? absolutely she watches her own star fall across the sky and she's Someone hallucinating is dying and yeah. it's her yeah let's just move on from dead children because well, i don't i would rather think about putting olive in like hold on i need to Take a drink real quick. Yeah, a drink of water. Yeah, whatever. Wow. Mm-hmm. That was a thing. That was um, a lot. Yeah, I mean, so, but I mean, but, you know, uh, clearly there's an emotional element to this story. It's endured for centuries I now. Know. Yeah. The real question being why? <laughs> we just like downers, I suppose. <laughs> I mean, there is a tragic beauty to it. If that's what you're into. Kind of. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I am into tragic beauty, but not in the sense of a child freezing to death in front of Why'd you such pick sumptuous. I don't know. Why did you choose I really, this story? I really don't this know. The, we're, we're, this is a fairly... <laughs> I folks, could have chosen anything. Folks, I'm going to pull back the curtain just a little bit here and let you know that this is somewhat of an impromptu show that we've decided to do. And Allison's idea of, oh, well, let's find a Christmas story. We can each read one and we can sort of talk about some themes and what it means and what it means to us. And okay, that's great. And like, and then she picks this and like... Well, there's a lot to talk about. Well, yeah, but why? But you're also really upset by it. Like, why would you... And you've upset well, me. I like feeling, so I don't mind feeling upset. It's, it's part of the journey of life. Is it? Yes, Ugh. it is. But the thing is, is like for me, I have distinct memories of this story as a little kid. Yeah. And maybe as a little kid, the tragic beauty was intriguing. But as a grown up, it's disgusting, honestly. In I the mean, sense it's upsetting. That, like, it's upsetting. Yeah. Like, I don't want that to be happening. How much do you think your interpretation of this story and the way you feel about it has changed if you would have read it, say, last Christmas versus this Christmas now that little baby Olive is in the Just world? Just like, it's not even 100%. It's like... It's like to the bottoms of the ocean. Wow. Yeah, because in the sense of how it feels, there are things about having a baby that just feel deeper and richer and more com- like complex. Mm-hmm. And it's so wonderful mm-hmm. that at any time I can think about my baby and I have a strong emotional response to it. Mm-hmm. And so anything that has to do with kids, kids being hurt, I, I have a, a much deeper response to those things now than mm. i ever did before all right and that's cool too well we, let's let's move on yeah if, if we have anybody even still listening at this point which thank you for your <laughs> perseverance we appreciate it my selection for our little impromptu christmas story show is the gift of the magi which is another a, a bit of a classic it's been done uh it's been done to death it's a story that's been around forever it's oh henry it's from i couldn't even tell you what year uh a, a long time ago. I can look it up while you talk. Okay, yeah. I mean, oh, Henry, just, you know, b- between that and, uh, shoot, now I'm blanking on what's the one where they kidnap the kid and he ends up being a jerk and they, they don't want to keep him and ransom him anymore. I don't know that one. Oh, come on. Are you kidding? Hold on. We're going to do an edit right here. The Ransom of Red Chief. 
The Ransom of Red Chief. Ransom of Red Chief is a great O. Henry story because he was so, you know, obviously a big defining element of O. Henry's work was like a little bit of a twist at the end. The Ransom of Red Chief is about these two guys that kidnap a kid thinking we're going to be able to ransom this kid and get a big payday out of it. And then the kid is such a jerk. The guys don't know what, how, they, the guys that's can't even hilarious. deal with it. It's Home Alone before Home Alone was Home Alone. Oh, that's so funny. Oh, I need to read that. Yeah, it's really good. So, well, The Gift of the Magi was written in 1905. 1905. Yeah. Uh, okay, so uh, let's we, let's just uh, jump into this. There's a little bit of dialogue. You and I get to have a little a little stage play moment again like we like doing on Script Shop mm. here. Uh, so <clears throat> here we are. $1.87. That was all. She'd put it aside, one cent and then another and then another, in her careful buying of meat and other foods. Della counted it three times. $1.87. And the next day, it would be Christmas. There was nothing to do but fall in the bed and cry, so Della did it. While the lady of the home is slowly growing quieter, we can look at the home, furnished rooms at a cost of $8 a week. There's little more to say about it. In the hall below was a letterbox, too small to hold a letter. There was an electric bell, but it could not make a sound. Also, there was a name beside the door, Mr. James Dillingham Young. When the name was placed there, Mr. James Dillingham Young was being paid $30 a week. Now, he was being paid only $20 a week. The name seemed too long and important. It should perhaps have been Mr. James D. Young. But when Mr. James Dillingham Young entered the furnished rooms, his name became very short indeed. Mrs. James Dillingham Young put her arms warmly about him and called him Jim. You've already met her. She is Della. Della finished her crying and cleaned the marks of it from her face. She stood by the window and looked out with no interest. Tomorrow would be Christmas Day, and she had only $1.87 with which to buy Jim a gift. She had put aside as much as she could for months with this result. $20 a week is not much. Everything had cost more than she had expected. It always happened like that. Only $1.87 to buy a gift for Jim. Her Jim. She had had many happy hours planning something nice for him, something nearly good enough, something almost worth the honor of belonging to Jim. There was a looking glass between the windows of the room. Perhaps you have seen the kind of looking glass that is placed in $8 furnished rooms. It was very narrow. A person could see only a little of himself at a time. However, if he was very thin and moved very quickly, he might be able to get a good view of himself. Della, being quite thin, had mastered this art. Suddenly, she turned from the window and stood before the glass. Her eyes were shining brightly, but her face had lost its color. Quickly, she pulled down her hair and let it fall to its complete length. The James Dillingham Youngs were very proud of two things which they owned. One was Jim's gold watch. It had once belonged to his father, and long ago it had belonged to his father's father. The other thing was Della's hair. If a queen had lived in the rooms near theirs, Della would have washed and dried her hair where the queen could see it. Della knew her hair was more beautiful than any queen's jewels and gifts. If a king had lived in the same house with all his riches, Jim would have looked at his watch every time they met. Jim knew that no king had anything so valuable. So now Della's beautiful hair fell about her, shining like a falling stream of brown water. It reached below her knee. It almost made itself into a dress for her. And then she put it up on her head again, nervously and quickly. Once she stopped for a moment and stood still while a tear or two ran down her face. She put on her old brown coat. She put on her old brown hat. With the bright light still in her eyes, she moved quickly out the door and down the street. Where she stopped, the sign said, Mrs. Sofroni, hair articles of all kinds. Up to the second floor, Della ran and stopped to get her breath. Mrs. Sofroni, large, too white, cold-eyed, looked at her. Will you buy my hair? I buy hair, said Mrs. Sofroni. 
Take your hat off and let me look at it. Down fell the brown waterfall. Twenty dollars, said Mrs. Safrani, lifting the hair to feel its weight. Give it to me quick. Oh, and the next two hours seemed to fly. She was going from one shop to another to find a gift for Jim. She found it at last. It surely had been made for Jim and no one else. There was no other like it in any of the shops, and she had looked in every shop in the city. It was a gold watch chain, very simply made. Its value was in its rich and pure material. Because it was so plain and simple, you knew that it was very valuable. All good things are like this. It was good enough for the watch. As soon as she saw it, she knew that Jim must have it. It was like him, quietness and value. Jim and the chain both had quietness and value. She paid $21 for it, and she hurried home with the chain and 87 cents. With that chain on his watch, Jim could look at his watch and learn the time anywhere he might be. Though the watch was so fine, it had never had a fine chain. He sometimes took it out and looked at it only when no one else could see him do it. When Della arrived home, her mind quieted a little. She began to think more reasonably. She started to try to cover the sad marks of what she had done. Love and large-hearted giving, when added together, can leave deep marks. It is never easy to cover these marks, dear friends. Never easy. Within 40 minutes, her head looked a little better. With her short hair, she looked wonderfully like a schoolboy. She stood at the looking glass for a long time. If Jim doesn't kill me, she said to herself, before he looks at me a second time, he'll say I look like a girl who sings and dances for money. But what can I do? What can I do with a dollar and 87 cents? At seven, Jim's dinner was ready for him. Jim was never late. Della held the watch chain in her hand and sat near the door where he always entered. Then she heard his steps in the hall, and her face lost color for a moment. She often said little prayers quietly about simple everyday things, and now she said, Please, God, make him think I'm still pretty. The door opened, and Jim stepped in. He looked very thin, and he was not smiling. Poor fellow, he was only 22, with a family to take care of. He needed a new coat, and he had nothing to cover his cold hands. Jim stopped inside the door. He was quiet as a hunting dog when it is near its bird. His eyes looked strangely at Della, and there was an expression in them that seemed that she could not understand. It filled her with fear. It was not anger, nor surprise, nor anything she had been ready for. He simply looked at her with that strange expression on his face. Della went to him. Jim, dear? She cried. Don't look at me like that. I had my hair cut off and sold it. I couldn't live through Christmas without giving you a gift. My hair will grow again. You won't care, will you? My hair grows very fast. It's Christmas, Jim. Let's be happy. You don't know what a nice, what a beautiful, nice gift I got for you. You've cut off your hair? Jim asked slowly. He seemed to labor to understand what had happened. He seemed not to feel sure he knew. Cut it off and sold it, said Della. Don't you like me now? I'm me, Jim. I'm the same without my hair. Jim looked around the room. You say your hair is gone? You don't have to look for it, said Della. It's sold, I told you. Sold and gone, too. It's the night before Christmas, boy. Be good to me, because I sold it for you. Maybe the hairs of my head could be counted, she said. But no one could ever count my love for you. Shall we eat dinner, Jim? Jim put his arms around Della. For ten seconds, let us look in another direction. Eight dollars a week or a million dollars a year. How different are they? Someone may give you an answer, but it will be wrong. The Magi brought valuable gifts, but that was not among them. My meaning will be explained soon. From inside the coat, Jim took something tied in paper. He threw it upon the table. 
I want you to understand me, Dell, he said. Nothing like a haircut could make me love you any less. But if you'll open that, you may know what I felt when I came in. White fingers pulled off the paper, and then a cry of joy, and then a change to tears. For there lay the combs, the combs that Della had seen in a shop window and loved for a long time, beautiful combs with jewels, perfect for her beautiful hair. She had known they cost too much for her to buy them. She had looked at them without the least hope of owning them, and now they were hers, but her hair was gone. But she held them to her heart and at last was able to look up and say, My hair grows so fast, Jim. And then she jumped up and cried. (laughs) Jim had not yet seen his beautiful gift. She held it out to him in her open hand. The gold seemed to shine softly as if with her own warm and loving spirit. Isn't it perfect, Jim? I hunted all over town to find it. You'll have to look at your watch a hundred times a day now. Give me your watch. I want to see how they look together. Jim sat down and smiled. Della he said. Let's put our Christmas gifts away and keep them a while. They're, they're too nice to use now. I sold the watch to get the money to buy the combs, and now I think we should have our dinner. The Magi, as you know, were wise men, wonderfully wise men, who brought gifts to the newborn Christ child. They were the first to give Christmas gifts. Being wise, their gifts were doubtless wise ones. And here I have told you the story of two children who were not wise. Each sold the most valuable thing he owned in order to buy a gift for the other. But let me speak a last word to the wise of these days. Of all who give gifts, these two were the most wise. Of all who give and receive gifts such as they are the most wise. Everywhere, they are the wise ones. They are the magi. The end. That's lovely. I love that story. Yeah, I do too. The whole, the whole like, they're in love. Yeah. They're in love and they care for each other. They sacrifice for each other. Yeah, to do a nice thing and uh, you know, and the, the, the poetry of how it works mm-hmm. out but doesn't. And you know, in, in terms of things that have endured, this thing's been adapted I don't know how many times. One of my earliest memories of knowing this story was like a very, very early Christmas episode of Sesame Street and Bert and Ernie do this whole thing. I, Ernie gets something for Bert, like a like a something that Bert can keep his paperclip collection is, and he sells like rubber ducky to do it. Uh, and Bert sells his paperclip collection to give Ernie like a soap dish he can keep rubber, rubber ducky, ducky in. <laughs> and it's so sweet. And like I'm four years old and I'm watching this, and I'm like, what in the world are you doing to me, Sesame Street? <laughs> Your four year old mind's going, whoa, these whoa, guys are best whoa. friends, and it's not working out. Is that what life is supposed? Like it's just, oh man, Sesame Street's awesome. Yeah, I know. And that was back when Mister. Hooper was still alive. That's a mm-hmm. that's a very old Sesame Street episode. And, it, and and again, this idea of selling the thing to give a present to someone, and they sell the thing that you're giving the present to them for. Like, right. is, that's just such a wonderful piece of poetry. And O. Henry was so good at weaving stories like that. Well, it's nice because they're just things, you know. And yeah. that's what this story tells us is that they it was the act. Yeah, it was for love, mm-hmm. and that those are just things. Yeah. And the idea that you're willing to give up this most treasured thing to make it so somebody else has a good day is such a wonderful human aspiration. It's so much better than like a dead girl in an alley. I mean, listen, apples and oranges, girl. I don't know. I don't want to give you any harder of a time about it. I feel feel like you're going to punish yourself more than I could ever inflict upon you. That's all.
it's all good. But you know, the, the uh, if we want to talk about you know why stories matter to us as people, and we yeah. come back to these to certain stories that endure longer than others, and the fact that you know you are talking about Christmas, this time of year that can get overly commercialized and can there's an emphasis on in a lot of different ways, and a lot of them are positive and uplifting. But the fact that we can as people can come up with these stories and still find meaning in little sprinklings of sadness or big dumps of tragedy, like right. it can it it can all still mean something to us, right? And those stories connect us together. Yeah. They really do. They're the things that can help you keep going when you don't know that you should be going. Yeah. They're the things that can just help you remember that you're not alone mm-hmm. either. Yeah. yeah. They can be wildly inspirational, even if even if there is a, an element of sadness to them, yeah. for sure. Well, that's a nice tie-in. Yeah, right? Yeah. I'm okay. Yeah. Well, I was just thinking, like, I don't know. I'm just, now I am completely upset by by the little match girl. Well, so. I mean, live and learn. It, it's going to be a funny annual Christmas tradition for, for me to make you read that terribly depressing story every Christmas from now on. Oh, boy. That'll be good. Oh. That'll be a lot of fun to do. Let's do it a, like a decade tradition. No, we'll see. We'll see what happens when Christmas 2019 rolls around and we need to come up with a Christmas-themed show on the fly. Um, while we're talking about Christmas, I just want to say that... I'm very grateful for your friendship Mm -hmm. and for the work we do here on the show and Frank's as well, even though he's not here, but I'm speaking directly to you, Frank. Thank you. And to our listeners, thank you too, because we love doing the show for you. We have so much fun together and it's for your benefit. (laughs) Now I sound like a mom. You were were almost there. (laughs) I know. I had to turn it because I thought it was funnier this way. Well, let me say to you that I love you very much and I very much enjoyed doing this show with you for more than a year now. We've been, we're, we've, this is our second Christmas show or at least second Christmas time release, but this is sort of our first Christmas, overtly Christmas-themed show. We did have Secrets with, with Lori, Lori Allred last year. Yep, so you guys should go check that one out because Lori is a wonderful, wonderful woman with a very, very lovely Christmas-themed script. Mm-hmm. And we, so we've been doing this show for a little more than a year, and I enjoy it very much. Thank you for inviting me to do this thing with you. Thank you to the audience that listens. Thank you to the writers who send us stuff. Uh, we hope that you, as a listener, can find meaning in in, in things and you know, a little bit of enjoyment you know, in, in work that maybe you haven't heard before. Mm-hmm. And whatever fun you get out of us, that's that's a bonus, too. Yeah. We're happy about that. Yeah. Anyway, this is a happy time of year. We're, we're celebrating. We hope you are, too. We hope that there's not too much tragedy that you can maybe get away from it for a little bit and enjoy a, a little brief moment with friends or family or however however you'd want to celebrate this time of year. And if you don't like Christmas, don't worry. It'll be over soon. Yeah. It's okay. Nothing. It, it, everything's temporary. It's cool. Yeah. So until next week, friends, that's a wrap. Merry Christmas. Script Shop was created by Allison West. Hosted by Allison West and Jack Crumley. Produced by Frank Steele. Thanks to iHeartMedia Cincinnati for use of their studio. Intro music, Retro Soul by bensound.com. Outro music by purple-planet.com. Special thanks to all our guests. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.